This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning as we uh, talk about all the things going on around the world of sports. Well, some of the stuff going around the world, period, or even out of this world. (laughs) Uh, Speaking as the geek that I am, uh, did you all see the video that NASA released of the landing on Mars. First time we have ever seen something like this. Uh, they had cameras mounted on their sky crane and on the lander itself. So you could see the, uh, uh, the uh, parachute that was up above. You could see the ground as it got closer and closer. Um, and you could see when the rockets, fired. it was the coolest thing, you know, and even NASA admitted, you know, the, by the way, you conspiracy theorists will love this. Even NASA admitted that, uh, you know, it looked like a video simulation. It was so crisp, so clear, so cool that it didn't look like it could be real. It was, uh, I am such a geek, but uh, you know, I can't help it. It just, it's, that's kind of stuff fascinates me. And, um, again, I always said that uh, if I could go to space, I'd go tomorrow. I really would. I just, it, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. I don't think, uh, I'm 60 years old and, uh, uh, they are going to have some civilians going up, but it's you know costing some billionaire all kinds of money to to do it. But uh, it won't happen in my lifetime. But boy, I wish I could. They just absolutely, absolutely love that stuff. So, uh, but just cool. If you haven't seen the video, check it out. They had it on a Today Show this morning. It was pretty wild. Um, here in the state of Connecticut, they have uh, decided to change the process by which the COVID vaccines are going to get out. It's causing some controversy here, of course, because everybody thinks they should be at the front of the line. The state of Connecticut has decided now to do it strictly based on age, uh, with the exception of teachers and child care workers. They're going to have their own special uh, clinic set up so that they can get their vaccine so we can make sure all the kids get back to school and are able to get back to daycare, et cetera, et cetera. But outside of that, it's going to be all based on age, no pre-existing conditions. What It's just going to be on age. And I saw, you know, and look, I feel for this woman. You know, I saw a thing on Channel 30 News last night. This woman that was a cancer survivor was absolutely railing against the fact that, you know, she's only in her mid-40s. Now she's going to have to wait until the end of April before she's going to be able to get the vaccine. It's not fair. I should be able to live my life. I, I felt bad for her, but at the same time, you know, I turned to Barbara last night and my wife and I said, you know, the problem is, is that everybody is going to think their underlying condition is more important than somebody else's. Somebody who has diabetes is going to say, uh, you know, it's more important that I get this vaccine than you do. It's somebody that's got high blood pressure. No, it's more important than I. It's it's impossible to make everybody happy with anything, whether it's this vaccine, whether it's, uh, you know, a movie, whether it's a, a record. It doesn't matter. You cannot please everybody. There's no perfect answer to this. 
The governor thinks this is going to be the fastest way uh, to get the vaccines into more arms. And I don't disagree. You know, and you can disagree with me if you want. But and and this is has, by the way, this has nothing to do with the fact that the March one people, you know, 55 and over are going to be able to be eligible. So that means I, I fall in that range because I'm 60 years old so I can get a vaccine starting March 1st. Now, I'm going to get a vaccine, but I'm not going to get it March 1st. You know, I basically stay, you know, close to home. My studio's at home. You know, I go to the store. I, you know, I, I, I live my life, but I'm not at risk as some other people are. So I'm not going to rush. You know, I'll get it when I when I when I get it. I'm not going to be standing in line on March 1st trying to get a vaccine, you know, because the person who is a cancer survivor, you know, probably should get it before I do, whether she's 20 years younger than I am or not, you know. Uh, she probably has, you know, some reasons that she should get it before I do. And I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I think the governor's doing the right thing here. Connecticut and Rhode Island, by the way, I believe are the only two states in the country that are doing the vaccines completely based on age, where um, it doesn't matter what your underlying conditions are or what your job is or anything. It's based on age. So we're the only two states doing it. You know, a lot of people are calling for the, the president to step in. And Joe Biden has even said, look, I can't control what the states do. You know, that's their decision. By the way, that's why, you know, we don't want the federal government taking over everything. That's why this country was built on originally states have rights. You know, the federal government does the general oversight, but the states can can establish their own policies. And that's what Governor Lamont's doing. I think he's doing a fine job and. You know, just again, you're never going to please everybody. That's just the way it is. All right, let's get to sports because that's what y'all are here for. Uh, I did a high school basketball game last night, by the way. Xavier uh, took on North Haven, and it was a blowout. Xavier won it by 30. Uh, Xavier's pretty good. You know, they're a young team, but uh, they're pretty good. They're 3-1, and one, nice win. Their only loss was to the number six team in the state. Uh, so we've got another high school game coming up on Thursday night. We have uh, the Cromwell girls who uh, had a win over Valley Regional yesterday. Uh, 5.30, it'll be Coggenshog at Cromwell. We'll have that for you on uh, Thursday. Hope you can join us for that. All right. Um, one of the big stories in sports the last couple of days has been around Kevin Mather, the now former president and CEO of the Seattle Mariners. And as I'm sure you all saw by now, you know he gave a speech at a Rotary Club breakfast in Bellevue, Washington, back on February the 5th. Well, the Rotary Club posted the video of that speech online. And, you know, uh, here's the thing. I am sure that what Kevin Mathers said in this interview, and there's a few things that were a little inflammatory, but he was saying what most people already know. Everybody knows what's going on in the front office. And look, one of the things he said, for instance, uh, like uh, Kyle Seeger is coming to the end of his contract. And he said, Kyle Seeger's overpaid. <laughs> no kidding. Well, he is. Look, every Major League Baseball is overpaid. We know that. You know, but having said that, I mean, you know, you look at what Kyle Seeger's making and you look at his output and, you know, and so, you know, basically Kevin Mather was saying, eh, you know, he's overpaid. So he's if he wants to stay with us, you know, plan on a pay cut. So, of course, you know, Kyle Seeker's wife sees that and she's like, so should we put our market on the house now or what? Um, you know, 
saying things, you know, he said things like, you know, uh, he was angry that he had to pay the interpreter for one of his Japanese pay players $75,000 a year. And then he says, when we told him we didn't want to do that anymore, all of a sudden his English got better. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, and then and then he came right. And this is the worst part of all of it. And not just for him, but for all of baseball. He came right out and said that their top two prospects, Jerry Kalenic and Logan Gilbert, will not be on the roster at the start of the season because it was a way for them to manipulate their service time to make sure they get control of these guys for an extra year. Now, everybody knows this goes on in Major League Baseball. If you remember, this happened to Chris Bryant from the Cubs. Uh, when the Cubs decided that they were going to do this to him back, I believe it was in... Oh, I can't remember what year, 2015, I think. I think it was in 2015. So they, what they did was at the start of the 2015 season, the Cubs sent Bryant down. So he, he started the season in AAA. All of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, he's back up. If he had been promoted one day earlier, he would have been eligible for free agency a year earlier. So the Cubs jerked him around. He sued the Cubs later for this. And the Cubs won. And why? Because the person that was doing the arbitration couldn't prove that the Cubs acted in bad faith. Now, you know they acted in bad faith because you know that this is exactly what every club is going to do. Look, if if, if we have an option of sending a guy down, having him start the season in AAA for a couple of weeks, and that means we get to retain this player at a more reasonable price for another year, of course we're going to do it. It's, it's like that in any business. If there is a loophole, you're going to take it. So, you know, everybody knows this goes on, but now it has been put out there that th this is absolutely what they were going what what is happening. And Kevin Mather came right out and said, this is exactly what we're going to do. So, uh, here's the thing. Now, Mather has had to resign. He's been their CEO since 19, uh, well, he's been with the club since 96. He was promoted to CEO and team president in 2017. You know, and he made an apology on Sunday, but, you know, there was going to be a, a meeting about figuring out what the club was going to do with him going forward after everything came out, and he resigned before the club could make that decision. Um, Mather had no choice here, but th here's the thing now is that this sets up the labor negotiations are going to be going forward at the end of this season, or they're probably going to be ongoing during the season. The CBA, the current collective bargaining agreement expires on December 1st. And now when you have a CEO that has come out and aired the dirty laundry and has come out and admitted everything that we have always known. How do you think that is going to impact the labor negotiations? Josh Donaldson, guy who is an ex-MVP, came out and said on Twitter, this was great. He said, thank you, Kevin Mather. I sincerely mean it. You just said what everyone already knew, but now we, the MLB Players Association, have official evidence that is going to help a lot of players. Again, thank you. Bravo. <laughs> and there is, I mean, he, Mather threw every 
team under the bus and then backed up over them a second time. Because Josh Donaldson is absolutely right. There's the evidence. And there is no denying. And we Again, we already knew it. So, the Players Association is already frustrated. Salaries have dropped for three years in a row. And even if you prorate the salary based on what players would have gotten had they played a full 162-game season last year, the average salary has dropped. So that's obviously a concern for the Players Association. The rules changes have been an issue with the Players Association. There is an awful relationship between Rob Manfred and Tony Clark. I have to be honest with you. I think Tony Clark's doing a horrible job as the president of the Players Association. But I also think that Rob Manfred's doing a horrible job as the commissioner of baseball. So where do the, what happens now? You have Garrett Cole saying that the players are concerned over a lack of competitiveness in Major League Baseball. That they don't like the fact that teams are lowering their payrolls in favor of rebuilding their teams with youth. And it's what the players call it tanking. And the management, you know, management, of course, always defends it as, as, you know, they're trying to do things for the long term. That's exactly what now the Red Sox are not tanking. Nobody can uh, can accuse the Red Sox of tanking this year. Yes, they traded Mookie Betts. Yes, there's, you know, there's been a lot of turnover in the roster. But the Red Sox payroll is still going to be one of the top four or five in Major League Baseball. So, but even there, Hein Bloom is saying we're looking at it for the long haul. That's what every team is going to tell you. You know, and part of the problem with it is, is that this is exactly what the Houston Astros did. You remember several years ago when the Astros completely blew everything up, they traded away anybody that had any value whatsoever and got a whole bunch of prospects back. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, they're one of the best teams in baseball. So the Houston Astros showed everybody that you can blow it up, literally, and you can get better. I mean, look, back in 2013, they were 51-11, and 11. all right? 2014, they won 19 more games because they've started to add players, right? 2015, now all of a sudden, they've won 86 games. They do the same thing in 2016, and then 2017, 18, 19, they win over 100 games each of those three years. They showed that you can tank and get away with it. So that then becomes the blueprint. That is everybody is going to follow the leader. They, that's what t- teams are doing now. Remember when the Tampa Bay Rays started with the opener concept? Now, all of a sudden, it's like everybody does it. Nobody, They don't do it as often as the Rays do, but everybody uses that strategy now. It's what you do. You follow the leader. So, you know, I get where Garrett Cole's saying, well, we don't like it because it means that veterans 
aren't getting long-term contracts. You know, teams are trading away their big players, and, you know, it's, it's not fair. Well, let me, let me say this. The salaries have dropped. There is no question about that. It was down about 4% last year on average, okay? But here's the thing. The big stars are still getting their money, and this is where the problem becomes, and this is where the players need to look at this and say contracts like Mookie Betts got, like Mike Trout got, like Fernando Tatis Jr. just got from the San Diego Padres, the Players Association has to look at that and say, you know, maybe those contracts are part of the problem. It's great for that individual player, but now, for instance, you know, you've got Mike Trout making $426 million over 12 years for the Angels. Think about that. He's making $35, $36 million for one player. Well, what are the teams supposed to do? You know, Garrett Cole's concerned that, you know, about competitiveness and about guys that aren't getting um, – you know, the veterans aren't getting as much money as they used to. Well, Jesus, when you're spending $35, $36 million on one guy and you've got to fill out a 26-man roster and you've already committed about, oh, 20%, 15% of your salary to one guy, to your salary range to one guy, well, that only leaves 85% for the next 25 players so there's going to be fewer there's going to be less money to go around for those other guys it's simple math when you have a salary cap or a luxury tax threshold you know which is what 210 million dollars well that means that for instance the angels their cap is 185 million because you've already spent 35 on mike trout look at what the dodgers are doing they are completely they don't even care I mean, they're going to be up around $250 million this year. You know, what what they're paying Trevor Bauer and Kershaw and Mookie Betts. I mean, th- on, on three guys, you know, they're spending $80 bucks. It's insane. So I think the problem isn't necessarily just that teams are not paying these veterans and guys are not – you know, the guys that are in their mid to late 30s that are used to getting and staying on and getting money now aren't getting it because teams would rather pay a young kid and take a chance and save money so that they can pay these few superstars. If we didn't have superstars making 30 million bucks a year, maybe there's more money to go around for everybody. That's the problem here. So, you know, if you're the Red Sox and you're going to jack up all kinds of money to you know, and, and to Mookie Betts and to Chris Sale and to, you know, J.D. Martinez and all of a well, you've got to find ways to cut elsewhere. It's just simple math. You know, and God bless the San Diego Padres. I give them a lot of credit. They want to, they want to build something there, and they know that they're in an arms race with, with the Dodgers, by the way. I'm not sure they can win that. You know, they're paying Tatis $340 million over 14 years. You know, and I said the other day, I mean, in the long term, it's probably it's a bargain. You know, Tatis is going to make more now than he would have 
But at the end of the contract, you know, when he's in his or, or towards the end of the contract, when he's in his early 30s, he could probably be making more elsewhere. But he took it to get more on the front end. And I, but think about it. I mean, you know, you're going to give him that kind of money, and you just signed uh, Manny Machado last year to a contract for thirty million bucks a year for ten years. Well, there's two guys now that you know fifty-five million dollars for a team that is a considered a mid-market team. Which, by the way, is baloney because uh, I just saw a thing where San Diego is the San Diego area is like the eighth largest metropolitan area in this country. But some some people want to think that they're a small market team. Uh, they're not. You know, there's money there. But still, I think that the Players Association has to look at that as well and saying, you know, look. And I'm all for players getting as much as they can. I'm not saying they are all overpaid. But at the same time, it's what the market will bear. It's the same reason why Tom Cruise can get $20 million to make a movie. Is he worth it? Well, hell no. But a, a studio is going to look at it and say, if we put Tom Cruise in this movie, it could make $200 million. It's an investment that we need to make. Where if we had somebody else as the lead, maybe it only makes $100 million. It's the same principle. But the Players Association has to look in the mirror and say, are these huge contracts? Is the, what Scott Boros and these guys trying to do by continuing to jack up the prices on these guys, are they doing themselves a favor? There hasn't been a strike in baseball since 1994. That was the last one. It was a seven-and-a-half-month strike. If you remember, there was no 1994 World Series. There's been eight work stoppages, but none since 1994. So it's been, you know, 17 years since we've had one. I think there's one coming. I hope I'm wrong. But what just happened with with Mather and airing the dirty laundry for Major League Baseball is not doing uh, the negotiations any favor, and I think we're heading for a strike. You know, there's a lot of issues around this whole thing, and it's not – you know, at some point the money might dry up. I don't think it's going to, but we have seen a decrease in television ratings. We have seen a decrease in fan attendance. You know, people want to tell you that baseball is dying. I don't buy that. But part of this whole issue isn't just, you know, teams manipulating the CBA so that they can get an extra year of service out of the guy. That's obviously an issue. And there can they, that can be tweaked in such a way where they close that loophole. You know, maybe it's if your guy starts on the, uh, you know, you can't jerk him around for a month or two weeks and then call him up. You know, maybe if a guy starts the season – in the minors, maybe he has to spend three or four months down there, which would give a team pause because Chris Bryant was a big part of that Cubs team that year. If they have, if they had had the choice of, well, we bring him up now to start the season or we can't bring him up until July, well, we better start him now because we're going to need him if, if we're going to do anything this year. You know, it might give teams, you know, some pause. But there's a lot of moving parts to this, but there is no question that Kevin Mathers airing that dirty laundry is going to give the Players Association a lot of ammunition. I mean, it's going to get downright ugly. 
So uh, we've got lots more baseball stuff to talk about. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a, a, a little intermission to talk about some college basketball. UConn men with a game tonight, a, an important game. Uh, so we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. By the way, coming up uh, in about two weeks, we're going to uh, return to our two-hour morning shows. Once baseball, spring training really gets cranked up and we've got a lot more to talk about, we'll go back to our two-hour start. So we'll go back to our normal time of uh, 8 to 10 uh, coming up here in two to three weeks. I'll give you a heads up as soon as I kind of get a gauge on exactly when we're going to do that. And then I get to lose another hour of sleep. It'll be great. Um, so UConn men's basketball team with a big game tonight. They play Georgetown. Now, this is a game that you would assume UConn will win. It is a game that UConn needs to win. Uh, they have not played Georgetown in four years. Um, but this is a game where UConn is right now sitting on the bubble in terms of the NCAA tournament. If this was a normal year, you'd probably feel pretty good about UConn's chances. The Big East strong enough where, you know, they'll, they could get five or six teams in. But with this year where there aren't as many non-conference games and it's going to be, it's kind of going to be hard to choose, you know, or to gauge teams against just just playing in conference games because for UConn, they have played damn few non-conference games. This is a Georgetown team that is seven and 10. UConn is 10 and six, seven and six in the big East. Of course, you know, look, you look at those losses and you know, one of them uh, is, is to Creighton. It was in overtime, Creighton, one of the best teams in the country, uh, another one was to Villanova, a game that they lost by nine, a game that they were in. It didn't really, because Villanova's ranked eighth in the country, it didn't hurt them that much. But this is a game tonight against Georgetown. If UConn loses tonight, you are going to have to start worrying a bit about their chances of making the NCAA tournament unless they make a run to the conference uh, tournament finals. This is a Georgetown team that does not shoot the ball very well. They only shoot it at about 42%, averaging about 72 points per game. They turn the ball over a lot. They have more turnovers than assists, which is not good. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, Hopefully, James Booknight is okay. He has been getting the crap beat out of him. Of course, he had that surgery on the elbow since he's come back. (laughs) I saw a comment the other day, and I can't remember who it was. Uh, but they said it was, I think it was Bill Paxton, my whole buddy, that said uh, uh, that at timeouts it's like uh, James Booknight has his own personal pit crew like in NASCAR because there's like three or four guys working on him trying to make sure he's okay uh, to get back out there. They're going to need him to play well. They're going to need Adam Sonogo to stay out of foul trouble. The big kid in the middle of the freshman is, looks like a seasoned veteran often, but he has a tendency to commit stupid fouls. Isaiah Whaley, they need him to play. Well, he's, you know, some again, he's one of those guys. Some games he's a big factor. He's always a factor on defense. He's a great shot blocker, but offensively a lot of times he disappears. R.J. Cole has been uh, has been spotty as well. Tyrese Martin, again, need a big game out of him tonight as well. But if UConn loses this game tonight, they're in trouble. No question. 
Uh, top 25 poll came out, no change. Top five teams all stay the same. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State, and Illinois. Uh, Houston took the biggest dip after losing this week. They drop all the way down to number 12, and uh, Virginia drops from 7th to 15th. The biggest mover upwards uh, would probably have to be Florida State. They jumped from 16 to number 11. But a, uh, a big game tonight for the UConn men. UConn women, they are still the number one team in the country. Um, no, no surprise there as they continue to dismantle teams. Uh, North Carolina State moved up to number two. Texas A&M is now three with Stanford four. UConn got 28 of the 30 first place votes. South Carolina lost again. They dropped from number two down to number five. And uh, UCLA drops out of the, uh, uh, the top ten for the first time. So uh, the UConn women play again on Thursday. Uh, they're, look, they're not going to get challenged the rest of the way. Their next challenge will be the NCAA tournament. They've already played uh, all the tough teams that they're going to play. So, uh, you know, the, the, we're going to be treated to a a collection of 20- and 30-point blowouts every night until the uh, regular season is over. Uh, the Iona men's basketball team uh, has decided that they are going to shut it down until the MAC tournament. Of course, Iona is coached by Rick Bettino. Boy, how about a step down for him? But uh, they play in the MAC, and they have decided they are not going to play again until the MAC tournament. The school actually considered completely canceling the season. They had to pause for the third time because of COVID-19 issues. Um, so they are now going to be shut down until the conference tournament. And uh, they had a 51-day pause earlier in the year. 51 days. They have just barely played enough games to qualify. And they're pretty good. They're 8-5. and five. Uh, They're 6-3 and three in conference play. They so they are eligible for the NCAA tournament because they got those thirteen games in. The MAC tournament begins on March eighth, so they are going to have what uh, uh, about two weeks off before they play again. But a fifty-one day shutdown earlier, so it's been a a frustrating season. But uh, Iona trying to hang in there, and uh, they'll be back in action on March the eighth. All right, I want to get back to uh, some baseball talk, and this was interesting yesterday. They, uh, with the camps opening up, pitchers and hitters are getting their first look at the new baseball. If you miss this, Major League Baseball has tweaked the ball this year so that it is a little uh, deader. Now, how deader? Supposedly, with independent testing, it means that the balls are going that that are hit more than 375 feet are traveling a couple of feet shorter it's not you know we're not going you know they're not playing with a mush ball but it has made a difference and the early reports out of the camps especially for instance uh, the angels and the dodgers both talked about this dave roberts uh said that he hasn't dug a lot into it but he said that a lot of the pitchers uh, thought that last year's baseball felt harder and the strings seemed to be wound tighter. Uh, so they're they're looking forward to it. Uh, Joe Madden of the Angels. This is and this is what I loved. You know, we talk about whether baseball is losing fans and whether baseball is dying. There's been a lot of talk lately 
about the fact that baseball needs to get back to its roots. And maybe this new baseball, and maybe if they take it a step farther next year, maybe if they start doing these things, the game will get back more to its roots, and some of the fans will come back. Joe Madden said yesterday, he said, look, I think part of the disinterest in the game today is that it's been reduced to striking people out, accepting walks, and trying to hit home runs. He said, if you change the ball, he said, we can go back in time to where we had a better brand of baseball. And I know every time I talk about stuff like this, I sound like, you know, the 75-year-old get-off-my-lawn kind of guy. But he is absolutely right. The game has become, for many casual fans, boring. Guys striking out 150 to 200 times, sometimes more, has become routine. It hasn't, it's become accepted. It's not, I remember striking, when striking out 100 times was shameful. Guys were embarrassed when they did that. Now, nobody cares. You know, David Ortiz, you know, had some comments that he made um, a couple of weeks ago and said that he is not a big fan of what's going on right now in baseball. He said the game has changed. He said coaches only want kids to hit home runs. He said, and that's all they practice because they want to get paid. And that's what people see. They see guys like Mookie Betts and Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, crushing balls. And so the kids want to be that. You know, he Poppy said, we used to want to develop great hitters. He said, and it's straight up blanking boring he said if you were in vegas and you could bet that the next hitter was going to strike out he said you'd take that bet every time and he's right think about that if you could bet on every batter and you say this guy's going to strike out i'll put 10 bucks on it you could walk out of vegas with a lot of money and even but look and ortiz was a guy that struck out he said look i struck out 100 times a few times in my career and i was upset about it he said now everybody does it he said, I watch young kids take batting practice, and all they do is try to, you know, run into home runs. You know, he said, uh, he said they're swinging out of their you-know-whats, and he said it's not good for the game. He said, if there's a runner on first, you want to use the hole, you want to hit the ball to the right. He said, yeah, you know, the runner had an opportunity to go to third. He said, you know, there was a lot more strategy available in the game when everybody is not trying to hit the ball five miles. Remember in the old days, and again, I, keep, I hate saying the old days, but do you remember the times when a guy would get two strikes on him and then all of a sudden he would choke up on the bat so that it cut down on the strikeouts? He had, a, he had more bat control. Do you remember those days? I do. 
You know, and we remember David Ortiz as a big power hitter, right? <coughs> Excuse me. And he and he was. And yes, he, he was right. He did strike out over a hundred times in his career. But you know, look at Ortiz's numbers. He played twenty seasons. In those twenty years, he struck out a hundred times six times. That's it. And one of those was just barely, it was 103. So only six years out of 20 did he strike out. And by the way, you know, when guys get older, right, they're supposed to be losing it. They, they're, they, you see him striking out more. How about in his final year in 2016? Do you know he only struck out 86 times in 626 plate appearances? He struck out 86 times and walked 80. You know, think about that. It was almost even walks to strikeouts. That's a beautiful thing. And then, and he retired, what, in 2016? You know, Aaron Judge in 2017, everybody loved Aaron Judge. He hit 52 home runs. Great. He struck out 208 times. 208 he got a little bit better in 2018, but he still struck out 152 times. He struck out 141 in 2019. David Ortiz never struck out. Well, no, I checked that. David Ortiz struck out 140 times once in his career in 20 years. For Aaron Judge, it's like having a cup of coffee. You know, I mean, those are the kinds of things, and that's what he's talking about, you know. I mean, he only retired five years ago, and yet he sounds like the get-off-my-lawn kind of guy, but he's absolutely right. Maybe if the game starts to get back to its roots and we have trying to move runners along, trying to play hit-and-run, you know, trying to do traditional things instead of working, worrying about exit velocity and launch angle, you know, that would, that would be more important. You know, there... Of the new stats, and I hate exit velocity and lunge angle, of the new stats that they keep track of, there is one that I actually really like. And that's the barrel rate. And that's the number of times that you make solid contact. Okay? That, to me, is a much more important stat than anything else they're keeping track of. Why? Because it means that you're making contact, that you are giving your team an opportunity to do something. You're not striking out or you're not swinging so hard and swinging for the fence that you're topping balls or popping them up. You're making solid contract. To me, that's an important stat. But until we get to a point where players are embarrassed about striking out a million times a season, the game is in danger of continuing to lose fans. And then the Players Association won't have to worry about it because nobody's going to be coming to games and then then your salaries are going to be, you know, cut in half. You know, so let's worry about fixing the game. Yes, there are some things that, you know, we need to keep it equitable between the owners and the players. I completely agree with that. I'm not saying the players should get abused, but at the same time, the Players Association and the game of baseball, you need to be able to change the game. Make it interesting for fans again. Make contact important. 
You know, if you hit the snot out of the ball, more often than not, you're going to, you know, it's going to fall in. And if you're making good contact, things can happen on the field. If you strike out, nothing good's happening on the field, folks, except people, you know, sitting around adjusting their cups. So if you're, a, if you're a little league coach or you're a high school coach, how about we start worrying about the barrel rate? We start worrying about how often we hit the ball, how well we hit the ball. That's the important thing. 48 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 50 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. Um, so some good news uh, if you are – in the state of Ohio, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds are planning to allow fans to attend their games. Um, probably about 30% capacity. That is great news. I can only hope uh, that we are going to get there at stadiums around the country. It will get larger and larger as the year goes on. But that means uh, for the Indians they would be able to have between ten and 11,000 fans at a game. Phenomenal. Look, if, if they said that, it, you know, Fenway, you know, they could have uh, 10,000 fans, it would be great. You know, I hope that happens everywhere. You know, a lot of states are being a lot more cautious. But I think with the vaccine rolling out, we're seeing that governors are starting to breathe a little bit. You know, people are still going to have to... Uh, wear masks. They're still, you know, unless they're actively eating or drinking. But look, if I think people will accept that. Now, there's parts of the country where they won't. <laughs> By the way, I saw a great thing the other day on Twitter. They were talking about the Mars landing, you know, and uh, people saying, you know, the average Joe saying, you know, that's absolutely amazing. And I mean, I don't know how you guys do that. You guys are so smart. And yet then a scientist will say, oh, yeah, and wear a mask. And then somebody will say, oh, you guys are just a bunch of poindexters. What the hell do you know? <laughs> you know, uh, the scientists are smart when we want them to be smart. But when, they, when scientists say something that we don't like, they're idiots. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now that I think if uh, I, I, I find very few places across this country, if they were told, hey, you can go to a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game, but you got to wear a mask, people sign up for that right now. You know, there's no question about it. So I, uh, it gives me hope. Uh, the state of New Jersey has said they are going to start allowing fans so the people that go to Devils games are going to be able to do that. Uh, that means that they'll have fans at, uh, for Giants and Jets games in the fall. Great news. You know, we'll see if uh, Massachusetts is ready to do the same thing as far as the Red Sox go. Uh, they're allowing fans at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So that may, leads me to believe that Yankee fans and Met fans, in limited numbers at least, are going to be able to go to games at the start of the season. That's just, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And remember where they were talking about, uh, you know, the governors or the, the mayors in the Arizona towns that uh, had spring training sites. They were trying to tell Major League Baseball, please, don't start spring training on time. Please, don't. We're begging you, don't. And Major League Baseball started on time. And all the teams that have uh, spring training sites in Florida, I mean in uh, Arizona, <coughs> have sold out their tickets in like a day. The Arizona Diamondbacks sold out their entire al spring allotment of tickets in less than 24 hours. They're allowing 2,000 tickets for 14 home games. They sold them out in less than 24 hours. 
Now, you know, I mean, the Colorado Rockies, same thing. You know, I mean, so we're finding that people want to go. And people are willing to accept whatever they have to accept. And if that means uh, that we have to wear a mask, then that's what we'll do. So, great news. Let's just hope Boston gets on board. Uh, Speaking of the Rockies um, and their site out in Arizona, uh, Ian Desmond has decided to opt out for the second straight season. Um, of course, he didn't play in the shortened 60-game season last year, as a few other players did, and he has decided he's not going to do it again this year, at least for now. He said what he's going to do, he said that uh, you know he's going to continue to train and watch how things unfold, uh, but he said for now he's not playing. He said it, being with his family and taking care of his family is much more important, making sure he's got young kids and he wants to make sure that they're okay through this whole pandemic. Look, as a parent, who the, how the hell can you blame him? You know, and, you know, they tried to get him to Bud Black called him up and tried to to get him to play. And he said, no, you know, uh, he walked away, you know, between last year and this year. If he doesn't play, he is uh, losing about 13 million dollars, but he doesn't care. His family and his kids are more important. By the way, that's one of the other things now. Players can do that. You know, they've made so much money. You know, you make you know, five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year. Hell, you play a year, you never have to work again if you don't want to. You know, I mean, think about it. So it's 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 a lot easier for a guy like Ian Desmond to walk away and say no when he's already made probably, you know, thirty million dollars in his career. It's a lot easier. Uh, this is and and this is the final year of a deal that he signed in twenty sixteen. If he doesn't play this year, <coughs> excuse me, and he didn't play last year. It probably means his career is over because that means he will have been away from Major League Baseball for two years. I don't know how you step away from a sport for two years and then come back. Now, maybe he could, but he's also, you know, again, he's 35 and two straight years away. And you can train all you want, but facing live pitching and and doing things at uh, game speed, you know, I'm not sure that he'll be able to come back from that. You know, but again, I applaud him. I don't blame him. And if you're a Rockies fan, you can't either. You know, if you're if you're a human, you can't. I mean, taking care of your family and your children, much more important. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Garth Brooks, Colin Baton Rouge. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.